Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And what are we doing in this episode, Kiara? We are doing The Conquest of Gaul, written by none other than Julius Caesar. There we go. A text from the 50 years before Christ was born, I think roughly, is wow. the dating on this. Is this the... No, it's... Is it? What? No, it's not the oldest text we've done. Mm. The, the the Greek one. Oh! The one on and when we did we, Ovid? Yeah, yeah, oh, that'd be older. There you go. It was oh. almost, it's almost the oldest text. Ovid is... I thought he was... Or is he later? I think he's later. Oh, I don't know. We're going to have to look this, this up. This is a question for you. Oh, we're all so uncultured. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Look it's at us at end our, of the day. Uh, like, I don't know. It's also, look at, look at our attempt at self-educating and a classics <laughs> education. Um, oh, I'm pretty it's not sure. our fault. It's not generations our- passed. They didn't teach us properly. I uh, know. No, no, it's, it's kind of our fault. Reign of Augustus. So he was later. This is actually, all I right. think, officially oh, our oldest text. The oldest text. The oldest text. We haven't done the Odyssey, so, you know. All righty. So, what can I say about this book? Well, this is what is it? Well, what is it? This is an this is Julius Caesar's account of the conquest of Gaul. Um, so, this is before he crossed the Rubicon and became a dictator for life of Rome, and then got stabbed. Um, and, and Gaul is the Gaul name is, for what area? Oh, Gaul is the name for France, yeah, roughly speaking. More or less. Yeah, more or less. So I this only is, know that because of uh, Asterix. And obelisk. An obelisk. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yes. All, great, great historical introduction. Uh, com- we studied them in our French classes. Yeah. They were oh, they're so good. You, you don't, don't tip with watching Asterix and Obelisk. Get the French with English subtitles because it is that much funnier. Do not get the dubbed into English version. Whatever happens there, the jokes just don't work. So get the French and watch them with subtitles. So much, so much funnier. Um, pro tip. Um, so, <laughs> so now that we've seen the the French um, perspective, take, take on this. Yes. So basically, the people that Rome is conquering at this point is uh, are the Celts, effectively, um, and a bunch of tribes, uh, tribal people. We've got. I mean, it's only because Caesar wrote that this account from Caesar survived, they would actually know who these people are and something about them. Um, he also talks about Britain, I think. He invades Britain at some point and says, Veni, Veni, Vici, and then goes home again because he's busy. Um, <laughs> Julius Caesar was a very busy man. By I the think, way, he I was, think- like, on the campaign when he wrote this book. So, like, he'd go out, like, into battle. And Travel come- journal. Yeah, and then come home. And, I mean, he was always writing reports to send back to Rome because he mm. was conquering Gaul on behalf of the Roman Empire. So he'd obviously send back reports, and this account is obviously drawn from some of those reports. However, he does make himself look pretty good. Um, let's face it. Why this. wouldn't you, though? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> really? you know, you're the authority on this. You're the only sort of authoritative Roman out there. And um, so to give you kind of an idea of what Julius Caesar is like, he writes in a very matter-of-fact way, um, but also in the third person. Which sometimes is, is very um, misleading because there are some bits there that aren't matter-of-fact. No. Um, that he could not possibly have known, and he writes them as if – he has this omnipresent knowledge. Um, I'm yeah. referring especially to uh, the conference of some of the, I don't know if you would call them elders, I can't quite remember, but um, the higher-ups in 
in the Celtic uh, tribe with Vercingetorix when they're trapped in the uh, the Oppidum at the Battle of Alicia. He talks about the councils that they have in that Oppidum, which Julius Caesar was not privy to. So could have had a spy. He might have. There are lots of um, theories theories out there. But the fact is that his style of writing can sometimes be a bit misleading as to what is fact and and what might not be holy facts. What is conjecture? It's kind of like like Thucydides, for example. So Thucydides is a Greek historian of the Peloponnesian Wars and he's got- I've been saying that wrong my whole life. I've always heard Thucydides. Yeah, it's a bit mixed. We don't know. No, 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 no. You you do hear both. It's one of those Latin things, except it's Greek. Yeah, yeah, it's (laughs) one of those Latins. Yeah. Yeah. One of those things where the only reason why we know how people wrote classical Latin this well, pronounced class- classical Latin. Is did I just do a mad grammar error there? Yeah, did, okay, that's did, right. Sorry. <laughs> well, actually, let's go back English. to another question I had. The ca- I came, I saw, I conquered. Is that with a V sound or a W? Because would have been a W. Okay, that's what I was. That's what Wait, I thought. Weedy, weedy, but it just <laughs> sounds <right>. bad. <laughs> it just sounds bad. So people just go with the V in Cino. the same way that in the same way that Cicero is actually pronou- supposed to be pronounced Cicero. Cicero, I like that. It means chickpea. Yes, yes. Excellent. I would have thought it was the other way around because I thought all the chis in that were all no, no, no. Italian. No, 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 no. So the soft later. C is medieval Latin, and even Italian C I is a hard C, and C E oh, right. is also yes. a hard C. So okay. C I is a chi sound, and C E is a ch sound. See, I, I learned this from a Campion student mm. that oh. um, that. The, the, I don't know if this is the only reason, but the main reason. Sorry, Kara, you'll be able to do your book in a second. No, 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 it's all good. This is important, okay? This is how we know we're pronouncing things. Yeah. This is why we pronou- we, we change pronouncer and why uh, Caesar is a soft C and not with the hard C, which it <laughs> <Caesar>. should be. I <laughs> love it. Anyway, Kaiser. Oh, of course. Makes like sense, German. Yeah, yeah, yep. Mm. yep. Um, Got it. Yeah, so the. Um, Yes, is is this text, which is like a grammar, no, not a grammar, a pronunciation text of how like um, how not to pronounce Latin, like common uh, mispronunciations mm. and things like that. And so it's because of that that we know how classical Latin was pronounced. Mm. Oh, because mm. there was someone produced a text that was like, and you might survived. think it's pronounced like this, but it's not. Fantastic. Um, and so, well, I personally find it hard to switch between ecclesial Latin and classical Latin because of the the different sounds. So to give you a sense of what Julius Caesar was like, uh, let's face it, he's a big personality. There's lots of legends and lots of stuff about him, no doubt, and thanks to his writing and his uh, propagandising going like, hey, look how awesome I am. Wouldn't it be great if I ruled Rome? Oh, wait. Um, yeah, I'm just crossing the Rubicon, guys. Um, so this the is what- die is cast. Yes. Or something to that effect. Translators disagree. Yeah. So this is him writing about the rebellion of Vercingetorix, and I know I'm pronouncing mispronouncing that. It's a really hard word to pronounce. (laughs) Everybody has different opinions on that, just like Boudicca, okay? All right. Pronunciation subjectivism. When he did not when he did get to when he did get to know of it, Vercingetorix led his army back into the country of the Bitterges. And from there, he marched to attack Gorgobina, a stronghold of the boy, for whom Caesar, after defeating them in the battle with the Helvetii, had established there under the suzerainty of the Adui. Of the Ad, Adui? Adui. Man, this would Blech. be so hard This is almost bad as Tolkien, okay? Trying to pronounce Tolkien. Um, <laughs> this move greatly embarrassed Caesar. If he kept the legions all together until the end of winter and allowed people to subject the Adui to a to be overpowered without interference, it was only too likely that the whole of Gaul would desert his cause, since it would be evident 
that his friends could not look to him for protection. So I I picked this particular passage for a reason because Caesar is very, very, very good at painting himself realistically, but also heroically in many times. He is not, he doesn't shy away from his mistakes or his uh, or the difficulties that he encounters and the boo-boos that he made. He doesn't dwell on them necessarily, but he does say, yeah, no, I kind of screwed up here. But then I fixed it and did this heroic thing and aren't I great? See, look, I'd be perfect. Um, <laughs> I'd be perfect to be ruler of Rome. Um, and so... That, I mean, that's just one of the fascinating little things I really enjoy about this book. Um, yes, it gets a little bit deta- it gets a little bit tedious with some of the details. He goes, and then I went here and did this and did there. It went there and killed these people and you know that kind of thing. But if you're into if you're into history, this is a very very rare if and and historical text. This is a very very rare example of complete historical text that we have. Um, the the reality is is that the further you go back in history, the uh, the loss of the material increases exponentially. So, like, mm. look at the pre pre Socratic pre Socratic philosophers, for example. We have snippets a of line. their stuff. Yeah, a, a line, line, maybe two, and from that line, we made assumptions about what their actual philosophy yeah. was. When mm. you know, in reality, we have tons of stuff from Plato. We have tons from Aristotle, and in terms of Rome, which is obviously a lot closer to us in history than some of the other those Greek philosophers were. It's pretty it's pretty mixed. We have complete texts and we have some really incomplete texts and this is a rare one in that it's complete. Mm. And um it tells you the whole story basically up until he crossed the Rubicon because he was in he was he was just finishing the campaign and heading back to Rome when the Senate decided to uh when the Senate decided to screw him around and he decided I'm going I'm marching on Rome. Yeah. I warned you guys. I'm marching on Rome and they're like no you're not. And um, history goes, Caesar crossed a little stream that is not – it's literally a creek. No, one's, no one knows where this is, actually, oh, funnily go. enough. I have, I have. Do you want to know where the, the Rubicon – the, the Rubicon, Rubicon it sounds like but this – I know he crossed it. it. The Rubicon sounds like this big river or something, this really obvious landmark or whatever. No one knows where it is to this day. We can't – we've got a couple of ideas about where it was, but it's this, like, creek that might not even exist anymore that he crossed over. That was the border – between where he was allowed to take his army and where he wasn't, yeah. because that was yeah. the whole thing about that was the that was what sort of kept that was part of Rome's and that's when Rome as a republic fell yeah. essentially when Caesar came came through and crossed the Rubicon because never again could once you broke that rule of you can't march on Rome with an army because that's just fair you know because if you've got an army you can t- you can do whatever you want mm. um, and that's true to this day like you look at all dictators if they lose the support of the army. They're, they're screwed. Yeah, and I guess yeah, it was <laughs> their the- national. If they if they lose control of the people who have guns, their yeah, their reign won't last much longer. And there's very few exceptions to that. Um, so I read this book as part of doing ancient history um, in year twelve, which was ten years ago. <laughs> oh. and reread it obviously. Oh, to- high five! Two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. Almost ten years ago. years ago, yeah, nine years ago. I was going to do a high fi- graduation high five. Next year, you can do a graduation high that's five. Right. Um, yeah, and so that that's still kind of terrifying. Um, and he, yeah, and I, I remember really enjoying this, really, really enjoying this. It gets a little bit tedious, like I said, in some parts, but you can just kind of skip through it. Um, 
Victoria, you teach this text, right? I've taught the, 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 uh, a few chapters of it for a particular unit, uh, prelim, year 11 unit, yep. on the Celts. So ah. when we were studying Vercingetorix, for instance, we used C- – Caesar was our main primary uh, source – so that was really, really good. And to be, I was really grateful, actually, because he goes into super detail in terms of um, um, the types of structures he made at the Battle of Alicia, which for those who aren't, um, aren't aware of what that is, basically they cornered the Celts in an oppidum, which is a, a hill fort, mm-hmm. and basically built like a, a, like a, t- a defensive donut around them. So uh, walls to keep the Celts in, but also a wall around that wall to keep the Anyone um, else out. other people out. And they defended this defensive donut and, and they won. It's one of the most fascinating battles in all of history. Now, I don't want – now, I just want to say that, you know, war is a, is a, is a terrible thing and I don't um, celebrate the loss of life in any way. Um However, I think it's important to study certain battles, and this is one to study. Mm. Um, it's one of the the great battles in all of history, and Julius Caesar was the mastermind behind it. Yeah, and there's no doubt about. I mean, look, if you've ever doubted about Caesar's ability as a tactician and as a strategist, mm, because he was yeah. very good at both, and it's very rare that you get a general who is both a strategist and a tactician, and mm-hmm, they're two mm-hmm. different things. Mm. A strategist understands where the battles fit in the broader war and understands the big picture. A tactician is someone who is very good at understanding battlefield dynamics and what to do yeah. when and how to do that and when well, to move he where. Was, he was quite literally going around in his, on his horse telling soldiers where to reinforce this donut. Mm. It was it – was, he was so um, – in tune with what was going on, and, and this is why, this, and that's the other. This, this, that's why he was so popular. That's why people mm. didn't mind him marching on the Rubicon <laughs> and like coming down and getting rid of all those corrupt politicians, because to his soldiers, to his veterans, whom he, he was promised a man to worth compensate, following. he was a man worth following, and he didn't have mm. much hair. Very much a historical fact. Uh, he was very, very self-conscious about it. Um, but he went bald. Yeah, he was oh. a bald. He went bald very young, and he was very self-conscious about it. Um, you see this because people made fun of. Uh, we've got recordings of people, uh, other politicians, making wow. fun of him for it. Um, bald Caesar. So yeah, Julius Caesar, incredible mind, incredible tactician, strategist. Um, not such a great politician, as it turns out, because he kind of didn't see that. Uh, he kind of didn't see Brutus and Cassius coming. Yeah. Um, Etu Brute, which he did not say, say by, by the way. way. That's that Shakespeare. Shakespeare. That's Shakespeare being a little bit crafty. Yes. But Shakespeare's play is also <laughs> rather – actually, Shakespeare's plays are actually rather accurate to the historical sources in some ways. He does romanticise the characters to a large extent. He's writing a play. You know, I mean, you know, he's writing a play and telling a great story, um, but the basic facts of the history are pretty well accurate. And I remember this from studying – the worst Shakespeare play, I think, in existence, which is Antony and Cleopatra. I did not enjoy that play. So, yeah, I quite enjoy this book. It's a seminal text in understanding Roman history. And um, I'd actually kind of recommend it because it's actually quite an entertaining read, all things considered, as far as, you know, ancient texts go written in 55 BC. Mm, And it's a snapshot of the time just before Christ was born. Yes. Which is very very interesting to look at. Yes. And, um, and yeah, and it's interesting to note, actually, you can tell authors 
who have been influenced by their classical education and would have had to read this, mm. probably in Latin too, and translated it for mm. all they were worth, getting smacked by rulers as they did it. Um, the You can see that this kind of style of matter-of-fact storytelling, because this is a story. He's telling a story. He's telling mm. the story of how Julius Caesar conquered Gaul. And, yes, it is factual in some parts and in parts that he doesn't know. He's got no issue with making them up to fill the story and to make him look grand uh, when it goes back to Rome. Um, so this kind of storytelling is evident in oh, you can kind of see hints of it in other in other authors and the way they tell stories. I see it a bit in Tolkien and some of the Sil- stories of the Silmarillion. There's this tone and pattern of there's this tone and pattern that seems really familiar. And I don't know. I find it. I I feel like I see it in a lot of 20th century authors that. They, Obviously, might, that, that were raised with this classical education, and I don't see it in modern novels. I just don't. I don't see it in more recent ones. Yeah, it's because they don't teach the classics anymore. No, no. Sorry, I just, I just went to a random page, page and I've seen the word Cicero three times on here. Yes. Same guy? Yes. Oh, there you go. Yes. Marcus Tullius Cicero was indeed a contemporary of Julius Caesar. Um, Cicero's Legion. There you go. Yeah, he. Uh, I didn't know he, that. Yes, he did. Thought le- he just was a politician. He no. did. Le- no, really no. Uh, he, he did lead. No, he did. Le- I yeah. think he did try and lead a legion at some point um, because you can't really be successful in Roman politics if you don't at least try mm. to do something with the army. And he didn't do particularly well. And he gave Cicero the high praise he deserved and congratulated the whole legion and spoke individually to the centurions. I think he's talking about him, like himself here. Yeah, obviously, yeah. To the centurions and military tribunes who were mentioned by, by Cicero as having specially distinguished themselves. That's interesting. Yeah. I just opened to a random page and, and two uh, major figures <laughs> yeah. of, of the ancient world are actually, talking to each other. That's, or, the, or that's, the, other thing, that's the other thing that I actually do really appreciate about this book that makes it very, very tolerable is mercifully Caesar writes in the third person. <laughs> That's right, of course. I don't know if this is the first time you tuned into Catholics Read, you might not know that I dislike first-person narratives, mostly because I don't like the people who are telling the narrative and I do not like being inside their head. Um, <laughs> Julius Caesar is polite enough to not do that to me. One of the reasons why I can tolerate this book and I can't tolerate something like the Res Geste, which his nephew... Uh, Octavius, who would become Augustus Caesar, wrote mm. because it is not in the third person. It's I okay. did this and I did that and look how awesome I am. I'm better. I'm as good, if not better, as the god Caesar. Because, yeah, he did become divinized later by his – by because um, that's what Romans tend to do to their emperors. They divinize them. Mm. Mm. And uh, uh, sort of step across with what we've been talking about is I guess the the um why why the Christian gospels are so scandalous because they refer to um they say no it is you are right Luke, Luke's gospel mm. sorry Kara was saying about that it was Luke's gospel and I was saying Mark's gospel but Luke's no, no, gospel how Luke it refers to, says to it, he says, specifically says Jesus Lord Lord Jesus um uh-huh. um was it Kyrios yes which in the Greek um. Which is how Caesar was rendered mm-hmm. as Lord, like Lord Caesar, mm. Kyrios, 
um, in the again in the Greek, mm. but um, that that is a direct challenge <laughs> to Caesar. It's a direct challenge to the Roman authority. That it's yeah. like, you think that that guy is God? No way. <laughs> this this person here that we know, he really is. And um, it's really interesting because even Romans themselves had a bit of a what that they whilst they were obliged to kind of worship, you know, the dead yeah. Caesars. Um, they weren't necessarily, they didn't, not all of them took it particularly seriously. And most famously, I think Vespasian, who okay. was emperor, um, who was emperor after Nero, who's the first of the Flavian dynasty that ended the, uh, Julio-Claudians once and for all. Um, Vespasian is well known to have said on his deathbed, oh, look, I'm becoming a god now. <laughs> wow. Very, very, you know, he was very well. He was also the guy who fell asleep during one of Nero's poetry re- readings and didn't apologize for it. <laughs> wow. Okay. He told Nero to his face, you're really boring and rubbish and that's why I fell asleep. I'm going to go tend to my bees now over here. Um, <laughs> there you go. Someone I've got to Google. Yeah, you need to Google Vespasian. If you go to Google any Roman Empire, Emperor, Vespasian is one of my favorites. He is sassy. <laughs> Well, I think that's a good that's a good place. That's to, a good note to, to end on. Um, so yes, Roman the conquest of Gaul by Julius Caesar. Yes, um, um, great fun. Again, very very entertaining for what you might first think be a really dry and boring text, and it's probably also available for free on the internet too. Even better. There you go. It's definitely out of copyright. <laughs> <laughs> the Latin is definitely <laughs> out of copyright. Uh, the English too, actually. I'm pretty actually, sure. Actually, uh, it, it'd be. <laughs> The Roman Empire uh, has a copyright of um, after the death of their author plus 3,000 years. Yeah, no. um, <laughs> still got a 1,000 years to go, guys. <laughs> Wait it out. All right. Um, so, yeah, in the next episode, I guess it'll probably be me yes. next. So, yeah, um, I'll be next with the mystery with text. text. I'll probably... Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.